Hello? Hi. Um, I'm calling because uh, I'm seeing here that you recently visited our museum and we're calling... Uh, For April Fool's Day, I decided to have a little fun by making some prank calls. Would this be a good time to talk? I just have a few questions. But this is a survey for what? Hi, I'm calling from Travel Services about your upcoming flight to San Diego. Is this a good time to talk? Uh, sure. I put on my best customer service voice to trick the Not Past It team. And to my surprise, I was apparently pretty convincing. Are you um, a podcast listener by any chance? I am a podcast listener. And what are some of your favorite podcasts, would you say? My favorite podcast is You're Wrong About. Oh, interesting. Unfortunately, we have overbooked the flight and we won't be able to take everyone's luggage. Um, so if you are able to fit your items into the size of a lunchbox, uh, you will still be able to bring them on the plane. Does that sound like a feasible option for you? No, we're going to be there for almost two weeks. I have to say, this. I was dreading getting a call from, I'm assuming you're from JetBlue or, or associated with JetBlue. Okay, maybe I was a little too convincing. I was starting to feel kind of bad. So finally, it was time for the reveal. Actually, <laughs> I'm associated with the airline not past it, and this is a prank phone call. Oh my God. <laughs> I was about to kill you. <laughs> I've got a meeting starting right now at 2.30, so I gotta go. Um, sorry about that. Well, I know for a fact that's not true because I can see your calendar, Nick, and this is Simone, and you've been pranked. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I wasn't harassing my coworkers just for kicks. I actually made these calls for a story. I was putting myself in the headspace of the Jerky Boys, two people who used prank calls to get massively famous and made a lot of fans and a few foes in the process. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Simone Polanin. In April 1993, 30 years ago this month, two guys from Queens who called themselves the Jerky Boys released a self-titled comedy album. Yeah, let me speak to Brett Weir. Uh, who's calling? Is he in? Yeah, who's calling? Look, Jerky, I don't need to talk to you. It was one of the most successful comedy records of all time. The Jerky Boys proved that prank calls were more than just gags for kids. But almost as soon as they made it big, they crashed. So how did these pranksters come to dominate the comedy scene? And what does their rise and fall tell us about the whole genre of prank comedy? It's April Fools, but this story is no joke. That's coming up after the break. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, full confession up top. When I first heard about the Jerky Boys, I didn't get it. My partner recently mentioned them offhand. And I was like, the who? And he was like, they used to do prank calls and stuff. You haven't heard of the Jerky Boys? Nope, doesn't ring any bells. Usually when this kind of situation arises, his immediate move is to pull up YouTube and plunge me headfirst into the discography of Souls of Mischief or whatever. But this time, he was like, hmm, I don't know if you'd like them. Their comedy is not really your style. Well, if you know anything about me, you'd know that is exactly the way to get me to check something out. So I went over to YouTube and pulled up some videos. And boy, did I get an earful. So what can I do to make you feel happy? Shut the fuck! I'm going to kill you, motherfucker! My daughter is sick and dying! She's throwing up! My wife throwing up! I'll kill your fucking place! You do not- Turns out, the Jerky Boys... Yeah, not really my vibe. Basically, the guys call up strangers and talk to them in the voices of over-the-top characters. Like the one we just played, where they pranked a pizza place. Or this one, where they prank the receptionist at a doctor's office. You know, these firecrackers, my God, I can't even, really, I'll tell you, I don't even see fingers, but maybe it's just because I'm numb and stingy. Just get a gauze, something that doesn't have flint, something clean, gauze. Okay. Hand and get an emergency. Okay, let me wrap this up and I'll see you with my nub. Okay. Right. I found the characters really aggressive and off-putting, the accents cringy, and I struggled to find the humor in the whole premise. You know, calling up people at their day jobs just to put them through a distressing rigmarole. So I asked my partner, like, what's the deal with these guys? What's the appeal? And he was kind of like, uh, that's just teen boy humor. I don't know. It was just something funny to listen to. Thanks, babe. Super helpful. Not. Get it? 90s era joke structure. But it wasn't just my boo thing who listened to the Jerky Boys back in the day. They were incredibly popular. Mariah Carey gave one of the Jerky Boys a cameo in a 1997 music video. Radiohead named their first album Pablo Honey after a Jerky Boys bit. Hello? Yeah? Pablo Honey? Yeah? Please, honey, come down to Florida. Huh? Come to Florida, honey. We miss you. And like my partner said, one very big Jerky Boys fan base 
teen boys. Kitao Sakurai was part of that target demographic. In the early 90s, Kitao was a middle school kid in Cleveland, Ohio. He was born in Japan, but moved with his mom to the U.S. when he was just a few years old. And at a young age, Kitao became a comedy fan. Not having English be my first language, like, really connected me to, like, physical comedy and, like, slapstick and, and also, like, Japanese stuff is, like, very, like, slapstick, but it's also, like, very sadistic. By the time Kitao was in his tweens, he was obsessed with all sorts of unhinged comedy. And since this was the pre-internet age, he couldn't just go online for this stuff. So it makes sense that one of his biggest comedy revelations came to him in the form of a cassette tape. It's one of those vivid memories I have as being in the third floor attic with my really good friend David Stone. David came over with his tape and he was like, hey, you have to hear this. This was his first encounter with the Jerky Boys. Yo. Hey, what's up there, fruitcake? I'm looking for paintwork. This is mine. I just remember, like, so viscerally, like, not being able to breathe because we were just laughing so hard. And, like, they keep on introducing these other elements of their character that, like, like get crazier and crazier. And the more that people buy into it, you know, the funnier and funnier it gets. These early Jerky Boys calls were formative for Kitao. And today, he's a director, best known for The Eric Andre Show, the popular comedy TV show. It's also a personal favorite of mine. On the show, comedian Eric Andre conducts these truly insane interviews with celebrities, like he'll just throw up mid-interview. He also plays a bunch of outrageous and absurd characters to pull totally off-the-wall pranks. That's just the joy of watching this character who you never know what the next thing out of their mouth is going to be. And like that joy and that like unexpectedness is, I think like, that's so Jerky Boys. Kitao told me that part of what made the Jerky Boys so groundbreaking and so inspiring for the Eric Andre show were the people answering the calls. Real, regular people. Somehow like being funny against somebody that doesn't know that you're joking or somebody that doesn't know that they're in on the joke, like, it makes it 10 times funny. After talking with Kitao, I started to think that there was something bigger here, a whole lineage of this specific type of prank comedy. And I wanted to know more about the real guys calling up these real people. So I dialed up the ultimate prank callers, the two guys behind the Jerky Boys. There's Johnny Brennan. I had no intentions of being world famous or even famous in my little area. This was just a goof for me. And then there's Kamal Ahmed. I guess we were the Beatles of the, uh, of the prank phone calls. But at the end of the day, those are just pranks. <laughs> like that. It's not like we cured cancer or something like that. Johnny and Kamal grew up together in Queens, New York. Kamal was five years younger than Johnny, but as they got older, the two of them became friends. By the late 80s, Johnny worked construction, and Kamal was a bouncer. And in his free time, Johnny had this hobby. He'd record prank phone calls on his boombox and play them for friends and family. One day, Kamal stopped by his apartment, and Johnny decided to queue up some of his prank calls. Yeah, auto mechanic. 
Kamal was literally on the floor, like rolling around in front of all of our buddies at the apartment. But anyway, he gets up off the floor and he's literally crying. And he's got tears in his eyes. And I said, what? I said, dude, what the fuck? And, and he looks at me, he said, John, I'm telling you, this is the funniest thing I ever heard in my life. Kamal liked what he heard so much that he wanted to make prank calls of his own. So he and Johnny started recording together in the apartment with the boombox. He was free a lot, so I was just stopping by at night with like a six pack or something, and we were making calls. This this went on for about, I don't know, a month. Yeah, I like to speak to a demolition. Johnny wasn't particularly interested in reaching a wider audience than their inner circle, but Kamal was convinced that their prank calls could become something bigger. Kamal thought the tapes were so great, he would make tons of these tapes and give them out to these rock musicians and jazz musicians and whatnot. Back then, there was a big market for comedy tapes. Bands listened to them to kill time before gigs. <laughs> Board college kids played them in their dorm rooms. Kamal told me he didn't have a sense of just how far their tapes had spread until one day when he was hanging out at a bar. These guys were laughing next to me, and I heard them talking about the tape, and I said, wait, how do you guys know about that tape? And he said, oh, it's these two guys in Pittsburgh. Like, they, they each had a, a thought of who, who it was. And I said, no, it isn't. It was me and my friend. And they laughed at me. They said, yeah, right. These bootleg tapes with outrageous calls, they were exciting. Everyone wanted to know who was behind them. But if you knew Johnny and Kamal personally, you'd know these calls had their fingerprints all over them. Both of them told me that their characters, including the ones who'd struck me as broad cultural stereotypes, were inspired by real people in their lives. Whenever I did my mother's voice, it was the character Saul Rosenberg. But listen, he said bad, awful things, and I fell down the stairs, and my shoes fell off. Uh-huh. And I feel very hurt about this. Frank Rizzo, I was literally doing my dad's voice when he got pissed off. My fucking dog is inside the piano. He jumped, he must have jumped up there and got wedged down in the fucking wires. But regardless of who inspired their characters, I don't know, dude. I still feel like they lean hard into tired stereotypes. I bring a little chipmunk in and a little uh, monkey, and I beat him senseless in front of the crowd. They love that. And even back in the 90s, the Jerky Boys got called out for this stuff. One early article about the duo's success mentioned that their material, quote, pokes fun at gays, Middle Easterners, Asians, Jews, and blue-collar workers. I work with one uh, cobra. The thing went crazy because I played a wrong tune and it hit my eye with the teeth. Kamal remembers occasionally getting criticized for some of the accents he did, but he didn't see the issue with his characters. Okay, so... Basically, you're a South Asian guy making fun of South. And I said, well, how is it any different than uh, the guys in mafia movies that are doing a, an over-exaggerated version of an Italian? 
Still, Kamal saw how his own identity could be used as a shield for Johnny. He could always use me as a uh, as a buffer, say, well, I'm not, I'm not uh, racist. Look at who's my partner. When I asked Johnny about the criticism of his characters, he said all of this stuff was coming from a good place. I don't sit around saying, oh, how can I be mean to these people? How can I be mean to these? That's not, I don't do that. That's not what I do. And what seems to be true is that back in the 90s, for many listeners, the offensive nature of the Jerky Boys was the appeal. The cover of their first album has a yellow cartoon bubble that says, warning, this may offend most people. Johnny and Kamal's careers took off at a time when a frat boy sense of humor was dominating the comedy world. Think Adam Sandler and his raunchy comedy albums. My father's a fucking asshole, man. My mother's a piece of shit, too. But something about the Jerky Boys' calls felt edgier. They were saying the same kind of off-limits stuff, but to real people. And it worked. Johnny and Kamal's tapes continued spreading. Raunchy shock jock Howard Stern played the tapes on his radio show. And eventually, they got the attention of the head of a music label owned by Time Warner. He signed Johnny and Kamal to a four-year, eight-album contract. And in April of 1993, their label officially released the first Jerky Boys album. I remember when it came out, my dream was I just wanted to be on Billboard's Top 200. And I remember I was living in this little apartment in the Lower East Side and it had a hole in the ceiling from plaster falling. Kamal had no idea if the album would sell. There was a 24-hour newsstand on St. Mark's Place. And I would go there at like 2 in the morning to look at the billboard. And I went there and one day we were number 200. And I jumped up and down. I said, hey, we made it. We made it. And then from there, it just like skyrocketed. In its first month, the Jerky Boys album sold 150,000 copies. The next year, their second album, The Jerky Boys 2, came out. It was another big hit and even received a Grammy nomination for Best Spoken Comedy Album. With all this buzz building, the Jerky Boys got another big break. A chance to become movie stars. Johnny and Kamal signed a deal with Disney to make a Jerky Boys movie. Except... That movie was essentially the ending of our career. All jerky things must come to an end. That's after the break. Welcome back, tough guys. Before the break, we heard about how childhood friends Johnny Brennan and Kamal Ahmed went from making prank calls for fun to launching a massively successful comedy album to filming a movie produced by Disney. The Jerky Boys, the movie. Three gorge burgers with cheese. Okay, great. Spicy hot lamby nipple chops with minty pickled sour sauce. Starring the Jerky Boys themselves, Johnny Brennan and Kamal Ahmed. In the Jerky Boys movie, Johnny and Kamal start as versions of themselves. The plot was, 
The two of them get into trouble with the mob after placing some ill-advised prank calls. I'm sick. You know what I mean, Ernie? You fruity-ass bastard. You want to take it easy with the name calling, particularly since you got a couple of boys on my turf with no protection. Whoa. The film opened in early February 1995, and there were problems from the start. The biggest fan base we had was the Northeast. And on the second day, we got hit with like two feet of snow, right on our core audience. Everywhere from Philly all the way up to Boston, and everyone stayed in. Back in those days, people would say, ah, you know what, we'll wait for it to come out on VHS and we'll rent it at Blockbuster. Whether related or not, the movie flopped at the box office. As for the reviews, well, here's what film critic Roger Ebert had to say. Because this movie is so unbelievably bad. There isn't one laugh in it. There isn't one moment of interest in it. It is a completely bankrupt production. Well, it was also- We didn't hear from uh, the agents anymore. When we called, they would just, you know, say, oh, he's not in, <laughs> you know, but you heard him in the background kind of thing. The next few Jerky Boys albums didn't sell as many copies as their first two releases. And this reversal of fortune was a turning point for Kamal. He says he wasn't happy with how their record contract split profits between him and Johnny, and that he'd been having reservations about being in the Jerky Boys since they signed their record deal. The longer we were there, and then the more I saw, I just was like, this isn't fun anymore. It was funner when we were doing it as a gag. So in the late 90s, Kamal decided to leave the group. Soon after, he stopped speaking with Johnny. Kamal moved on to writing and directing independent films, mainly small-budget crime dramas. Johnny, meanwhile, kept doing prank calls under the Jerky Boy's name, just by himself. I couldn't just go up and live in a, a cabin in Alaska somewhere because, you know, the Jerky Boys has millions of fans around the world. So, it's you know, I still had to carry on and, um, you know, do my thing with the Jerky Boys. Johnny's Jerky Boys releases became less frequent and the prank comedy world moved on. There were the physical stunts pulled off by the Jackass crew and the elaborate pranks carried out by Ashton Kutcher on Punked. People weren't really listening to cassettes in their cars anymore. I also wonder if the Jerky Boys characters, especially the stereotype heavy ones, just stopped feeling edgy and boundary pushing and started feeling repetitive and outdated. But the Jerky Boys still have fans in high places. Family Guy creator Seth MacFarlane is one of them. He introduced Johnny to a new generation by casting him as the Family Guy character Mort Goldman. Dear stuffed shirts at Ritz Crackers, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, just as a box of crackers is only as appealing as its least intact sleeve. And of course, Kitao Sakurai, the comedy director we met at the top of the show, is still a big fan. The spirit of the Jerky Boys, that sort of chaotic, disruptive playfulness, it's all over his work on The Eric Andre Show. Like in this one segment, comedian Eric Andre pretends to be a stressed-out EMT dealing with a passed-out man on a gurney. 
and asks people on the street to assist him. Hey, can you help me? I, I can't. I'm not trained for that. Can you fucking help me or are you just going to stand there? Like, I'm telling you, I'm not trained for that. Jesus. Kitao says that making comedy that ages well is always an uphill battle. He told us that when he recently re-listened to the Jerky Boys, there were certain jokes that didn't hold up. But overall, he finds Johnny and Kamal's early material does use certain comedy rules that are evergreen. Those kind of key concepts of how comedy works and what's funny, like, I think, like, that will not change. But, you know, some of what you're talking about or, like, the way you're talking about things or, you know, characters that you may create, those can fall in and out of kind of cultural acceptance, I think. Still, I get the sense that Kitao and his collaborators are thinking more critically about who they target in their comedy. A prank also feels not as funny if it feels like you're punching down or you're like making fun of a, you know, already marginalized group or feels like you're picking on somebody. Like comedy is at its best when you're poking at like a larger system of power and like you're questioning that and you're questioning these like known assumptions. The picking on somebody part, the not so fun part of this. When I waded into the prank call waters at the top of the show, I definitely felt that. I don't think that's quite what Kital meant when he said punching down, but I didn't feel great about tricking my producers. I just felt kind of mean. What the hell? But then something weird started happening. I still felt like a total asshole, but another part of me was kind of starting to like it. Like in those moments before I revealed the prank, I got this rush, like I was getting away with something. I was creating this imagined reality on the fly and inviting others to step into my twisted little world of lunchbox-sized luggage requirements. By the last call, I was starting to get excited about what bizarre scenario I could create. Treading the line of assholishness, the art of the prank, it was a thrill. And it helped me understand this thing Kitao told me about the particular way that prank comedy is special. When a prank is working and it's like real and it's good, like you're actually showing something that is like fully real and you're getting like a comedy from like just the way people are. And there's something like really humanizing about that. And, and you know, there's something really joyful about seeing like real people reacting in the real world. I kind of get that. The curiosity of seeing how people will react when they're confronted with something totally out of the norm. Whether it's a customer calling with a strange request or an EMT who's in way over his head. I still can't totally say that prank calls are my thing. I'm not becoming a jerky girl anytime soon. But I think there's something really special about a genre that celebrates a certain kind of immature mischievousness especially when it's not just offensive for the sake of being offensive. And like Kitao said, watching real people reacting in the real world, that's not just funny. It can capture our most genuine selves. You got that, jerky? Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by Ethan Oberman. 
Next week, get ready for the conniving, confounding, and cultured competition between butter and margarine. So they were pretty pissed off that there was this new incursion of fake butter. It was a power grab. Like, we can't have this fake butter. That's going to screw over our ability to, to make any money or to sell our real butter. The rest of our team are producers Olivia Briley and Ramoy Phillip. Our associate producers are Laura Newcomb and Nick Del Rose. Our intern is Jasper Jarecki. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Liza Yeager. Andrea B. Scott is our executive editor. Fact-checking by Ian Michael. Sound design and mixing by Emma Munger and Peter Leonard. Original music by Sax Kicks Av, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toko Liana by Coco Co. With music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to John Wenzel, Jesse Hoffrichter, and to Lydia Polgreen, Abby Ruzica, Dan Behar, Jen Hahn, Emily Wiedemann, and Liz Stiles. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. Check out our new comment feature in the Spotify app. And while you're there, hey, why don't you rate us five stars? You can follow me on Twitter, at Simone Polanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week. And just so you know, one last thing, you are being prank called right now. This is Simone. I'm sorry to absolutely interrupt your day. And uh, I think you might be. Wait, are you sorry? Did you hang up on me, Liz? Hello, Liz?